Welcome to the State of Everything Extra Tim. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com, where we pick the brains of Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com, backed by popular demand. How's it going, Tim? Not too bad at all, Paul. How's, how's things with you? How is your family dealing with lockdown? Yeah, it's been okay, actually. I've got a couple of kids and they're doing the homework, schoolwork at home. They seem to enjoy it. My son is nine, my daughter's nearly 13, and you know, it's it's just been okay. My son obviously doesn't want to go back to school because he's enjoying being it's at Because home. he's normal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, they're getting quite a lot of homework. My daughter's getting a lot of homework to do, and but it's just my my wife is having to deal with it. And so life for us is fairly, fairly normal. Um, there's always the guilt about going out, even though I think it's absolutely fine to. You just still feel very guilty, and it's it's a kind of weird thing. It is very, very strange. Um, I mean, I have never seen our road busier than during the last few weeks. So uh, I would humbly suggest that the lockdown is basically already over, at least at least in my part of sort of northwest London. Yeah. Um, it, it's starting to fray and people are, I think most people are, are just starting to get a bit fed up of this whole process, to be absolutely honest. Well, I wanted to quote something on the BBC website because it's basically... You know, we said a couple of weeks ago that the numbers here looked like they were going down. And even in Sweden, they looked like they were going down. And it, there seems to be this fascination in the markets with models rather than actually looking at what the market is doing. And it seems to be exactly the same thing with this virus. They seem to be looking at models, at what models are predicting, rather than looking at exactly what is going on across different countries with different strategies. Someone sent me, um, uh, I assume it's an interview with... Jonathan Sumption, Lord Chief Justice until 2018, and it's from via the Sunday Times. Um, and if people want to look it up, they can probably find the whole thing, but I'm just going to quote very selectively from it. The answer is that having originally embarked on a sensible policy that would have avoided a lockdown, the government did a 180-degree turn on the afternoon of March 23rd without thinking of the wider implications. It was in a blind panic provoked by Professor Neil Ferguson's reasonable worst case of 510,000 deaths. Quite apart from the fact that a worst case is by definition an unlikely one, few scientists now support this figure, but it has had disastrous consequences, and we know clearly what those consequences are. Now, to, to go touch briefly on the, the economic and market aspect of this, um, we had, I'm trying to remember his name, but we had a gentleman from Adventures in Capitalism, um, hedge fund manager based in Asia, uh, on the show a few, uh, a few weeks back, and this is a colleague of his, Harris Kupperman, and Harris Kupperman makes, makes the following point. The current market is one of the most difficult that I've seen in my career as the range of outcomes are so wide. Big picture, you have a global depression with hundreds of millions out of work offset by, quote, Project Zimbabwe, unquote. And while I think the big guns at the central banks ultimately emerge victorious, there are likely to be many scary moments along the way. I want to buy those scary moments, not the afterglow of one of the strongest rallies in market history. Right. Now, I think that's a great way of great way of you know uh, assessing the the current situation. But what he goes on to say is something that Dylan Grice is also. I remember Dylan Grice who we had on very recently. Yeah. Um, something Dylan Grice says, which is basically, uh, you know, the one thing you will never hear typically any fund manager say is, "I don't know." So. If people have you know, interesting and complicated questions, 
often the most difficult thing to respond for any number of reasons is to say, I don't know. But I think people have to, I think we all have to acknowledge now, we don't know. We don't know how this is going to play out, not least in, in market and investment terms. But clearly, I mean, I, I, I'm with Cuppy, as he's known, this guy, Harris Kupperman. And one of the things he, he, he states is his long you know, inflation risk in the form of uh, inflation assets in the form of gold. Yeah. And I have never in my life been more, let's say, comfortable with having a meaningful allocation, both on a personal basis and on a professional basis, namely for clients, a fairly meaningful allocation to, to gold and, and precious metals stock. Yeah. So just to come back a step. What yep. I wanted to quote was the, the, on the BBC website, because I want to be absolutely yep. clear that this is not coming from me. This is actually coming mm. from the BBC, from the, from the health correspondent. And he's basically said that the chances of coming into close contact with one of those individuals who Oh, I think it, I saw, I saw yeah. this piece. It's the one in 400 uh, yeah. person, be, exactly. people being, being infected uh, stat, isn't it, yes. amongst other things. So, so after all of the you know, headlines, and for people who are not in this country, and don't look at the BBC, and I can completely understand that you don't. There have been sort of massive sort of scaremongering headlines every single time something happens. Like, you know, when we had the lowest numbers in London ever, and that, that, that was a great headline that The Standard put out, mm. the BBC thought fit to just put that the numbers worldwide had hit a new high. So they couldn't put any positive news, news mm. out there. So when we've got this little story from the health correspondent saying that actually the chances of it bumping into somebody who's got it, and even if you get it, the symptoms are really mild, seem to smack of, well, what the hell is going on on the main headline? Yeah, there's, yeah so, I mean, I've got the BBC News webpage, uh, homepage in front of me, and the main stories are PM's chief aide made second lockdown trip. That's the, that's the main story. Yeah. Oh, Promotion God. for the Andrew Marr show, Watch Live the Andrew Marr show. Live pressure grows on PM top aide over lockdown trip. Baffling observations from the front line, coronavirus daily update, and then William Parenthood resurfaced Diana memories. So of the six of the six headlines on that page, five of them are solely concerned with coronavirus. Dominic Cummings, tell us about him and what, what is going on? So Dominic Cummings is, has become a, a really polarising character in the British government. He's not an MP, he's an aide to Boris Johnson, uh, who is the Prime Minister, and he may... and. Dominic Cummings made his reputation as one of the prime movers behind the Vote Leave campaign, which was ultimately victorious against all the odds. In other words, uh, the, the Vote Leave campaign to, to get the UK out of the European Union. And that vote, of course, the referendum was back in June 2016. Seems, seems like you know, a lifetime ago now. Um, and of course, we're still stuck, stuck in this kind of sort of... Um, zombie-like, um, you know, this wilderness waiting, waiting, waiting to get out. But the, the, the story in question is that, uh, or the alleged story in question is that Cummings and his wife and their four-year-old son um, left London and drove to Durham um, because his wife was apparently um, symptomatic of coronavirus. He was concerned that he might get it and he was concerned, apparently concerned about you know arrangements for looking after his child so they they went to they they went up to durham to i think drop the drop the kid off uh, with uh, cummings's parents 
So, so and they and went in a car. They didn't go on a train or anything. Yeah, no, they like went. In, so they went in a car, and this has somehow become, you know, it's it's become a highly confected media outrage story. And I think what basically is happening here is that, you know, for some people, including most most members of the mainstream media. They have never forgiven Cummings for succeeding in Brexit, <laughs> and they will use any excuse whatsoever to try and topple him, uh, try and get him out of, of office. Now, he say he's not an MP anyway; he's a he's a sort of a private advisor. But uh, this just stinks to me. It mm. stinks to high heaven. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's symptomatic. It's, it's symptomatic of the of just the dreadful nature of you know news news at, at the moment and it's been you know, the news i'd say the news media have been on the slide for a while but this is just the latest example of you know sort of brain death amongst the mainstream or blame stream media as i've taken to calling it they had a great chance to redeem themselves with this coronavirus situation you know putting out some decent quality information and just well you're right that it. you're you're right that that piece from the, the 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 bbc i think the piece in question is uh how it's called how scared should we be of coronavirus yeah but it's a very rational sensible you know and so needless to say it's it's, it's taken it's taken like three months for it to surface so on to markets now we've got to listen a question and just before i do that i want to ask about Princes of the Yen. Have you had a chance to watch it? No, I haven't. It's, okay. it's on my to-do list, oh, yeah. so I, 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 I have, I have got an interest in seeing it. Okay, brilliant. Right, so let's go to to Jeremy Light's question from Twitter. Thank you very much for sending that in. A general theme from your interviewees is a return to the gold standard to enable sound money. However, the gold standard fell apart because Bretton Woods fixed at thirty five dollars, and the U.S. hemorrhaged gold. What would need to be done differently to avoid a similar outcome if gold is to back sound money? Uh, well, it's interesting that this topic arises because it's obviously something we discussed with Russell Napier. And uh, I defer to Russell in his grasp of financial history and not least the history of gold as, as sound money. And I think I'm right in saying that Russell, while he personally, like like us, like me, is a fan of uh, gold. He sees merit in gold as an asset. He doesn't think that a gold standard. I think. I think to quote to, to quote him more or less verbatim, a gold standard is not necessarily compatible with democracy. So I'm not sure necessarily. I mean, there are clearly a lot, a growing number of gold bugs out there. Um, but I'm not sure that we, if I can use the royal we for for a second, necessarily are advocating a return to the gold standard. We're merely expressing. Uh, a personal preference, an investment preference for gold, irrespective of whether it does actually get formally acknowledged within a, 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 a formal gold standard regime or not. So put it another way, if if we were on the gold standard right now, how would you feel about that? Do you think that would be I, a I would be delighted. I would be delighted. Yeah. But the, the, I think the, the problem is that because we live in a, the modern financial system is basically a credit-based system uh, on the platform of, of fiat money, uh, that's incompatible fundamentally with a gold standard, yeah. which, which by definition limits the capacity to, you know, to, to print money. It's, so it's a bit like a, it's a bit like a, saying gold... we, we don't want governments to to have any borrowing. It's like it's just not going to happen anyway. Well, it? I mean, one one thing I'm trying to think of his name. One of the economists we had on some while ago. He, he's an advocate of basically, you know, um, balanced budgeting. So I think it's entirely appropriate, particularly in the light of the, the, the debt explosion that coronavirus has caused, to try and move back to some system of sanity in relation to government financing. Um, that's obviously sort of, you know, pushing against the tide at the moment. But 
it, it, it's, it's perfectly reasonable to say, look, you know, government spending's got way out of control, uh, not least on the, the health service. And uh, it would be entirely reasonable to have, uh, say, a balanced budget, to move towards a balanced budgetary process, whereby you say to government over a period of time, so you couldn't affect this overnight, but to go towards uh, a system whereby, you know, you only get to spend what you have. So you have a budget. You have to, you have to keep your spending within the realms of that budget. And over time, we, we have to try and right the, 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 the fiscal ship. And, uh, you know, you can't just continue borrowing money whenever there's a shortfall. You know, in other words, if you can't raise the tax revenue, you don't get to spend the money. Isn't one of the problems with that that a successive government is only in power for a relatively short period of time compared with the projects that you put in place and how much things could potentially cost? So therefore, if you were in power, you, you can just promise everybody the earth spend a load of money and then just leave it for some other poor sod to sort sure, out. I'm sure, but, but ultimately, if, you know, if, 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 if we're going to get the politicians we deserve, then there has to be some there has to be some greater focus on you know economic competence. Yes, and skin um, in and the I, game, I, I would say exactly. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't see. I mean, because at the moment, and this the, the coronavirus crisis puts this right to the fore. The dis, you know the, the distinction between politicians who are all on index linked pensions and let's 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 be honest, and they're fairly well paid. I'm not saying they're overpaid for what they do because it's obviously a very stressful job, but it's a very it's a very you know it's, it's a well compensated job. And with some some very juicy perks that people in the private sector simply can't benefit from. So the idea that we're all in this together just isn't true. Mm. I think they should be paid personally. I've got a controversial view. I think they should be paid more, but they should. Be, I agree. I mean, they should be the, more the, accountable. The, I think the PM. Yeah, I mean, this, this, gets the a Singapore, ridiculously small amount of money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. The Singaporeans seem to have a, a particularly interesting model because they they pay their politicians very well, but they also have one of the most successful societies in the world. So. I didn't ask you about your lockdown, by the way. Oh, it's it, it's fine. I mean, the, the the perverse one of the perverses of this is that for any of us who've been working remotely, i.e., from home from a, a home office for several years, lockdown has, isn't doesn't really change things very much. The the main thing I'm missing is, you know, uh, is the ability to socialise, the ability to to eat and drink out. That's that's so the, one of the first things I will look to do. Uh, yes. And this is where it starts to get a little bit dreadful. Seeming is like you just wonder at the damage that's that's being done. Um, that, that has been, is being, and will be done, particularly to say to the restaurant sector, restaurant yeah. pub sector, this is a part of the economy that, was, that wasn't necessarily thriving and is a difficult business anyway yes. uh, at the best of times. But uh, I, I mean, I just dread to think, A, a firstly, how, how easy it'll be to, to, to get back to any of these places and B, how many of them are going to be left when the dust settles. Yes, that, uh, that's, that's true. And what's frustrating is I, I completely get that we should have locked down quickly and you know, we were saying very early on we we should have locked down early when we didn't know what was going on. But it's also very clear that we, we should be out of something by now. We should be further out. And I think it's going to be linked to this this health app. I think they'll, they're going to tie our freedom towards having this app on us. And if we've got it, then, then we'll be allowed to go out. And of course, the app's not ready yet. So it seems to be held back. But that, that's just my my guess as to why we're not being able to unlock even in bubbles, given that some areas are just showing such low levels that it just doesn't make any sense. The pro the problem, of course, is that whatever happens in the near to medium term, there there may well even if there isn't a, a another wave of coronavirus, which I I suspect probably will be the case. There's going to be at some point there'll be another another a virus uh, or similar 
disease circulating, and it might well be a lot worse than this one. But that's always been the risk. And I think, yeah, 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 but so so the the, the 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 biggest tragedy of all of this will be if I mean we we already know the economic cost is probably you know is just in, completely unconscionable. But the the really huge tragedy will be apart from you know the the loss of life and the the, the loss of of capital, loss of wealth will be if if lessons aren't learned from this. Yes, I, you know we have to get to a, a a more sensible you know use of of proper science in government for God's sake. I was saying that there's some new technology that's come out that allows you to to go effectively to the doctor. You buy the equipment yourself, and there and then the doctor sort of patches into that equipment to check your heart rate, check your temperature. There's a there's a thing that you can stick in your ear and all that sort of stuff. So so basic medical attention can be done via a remote link up, which I think is fascinating. I mean it's it's certainly opened people's eyes to different ways of working. And I think if I'm correct, that uh, the the boss of Twitter has said that he's quite happy for people to work from home forever so yeah it, yeah, it really that, yeah that's has been a right. sea change and what i've been observing in the markets technology stocks that, that are looking to break into new highs and they, they've just carried on regardless so it's it begs the question of what you were saying earlier about which way is the broader market going to go is it going to go up because we're going to get a, a, a massive dose of inflation or as some commentators are saying Stanley Druckenmiller is certainly on more on the bearish side, and I try to watch the Warren Buffett presentation, but it is like four, it is it is four hours long. It is four hours long, so I w- wanted to get the headlines from you if you don't mind. Um, but he does not sound like a happy bunny. Yeah, um, if you bear with me, I'll see if I can find uh, actually a piece. It was done by uh, Stephen Wilkinson. Ah. Um, Excellent. And he 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 gave uh, he gave us a synopsis. And I'm just to see if I can. Uh, okay, here we go. So three insights from Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway's 2020 annual meet, annual meeting. So this is this is a quote from uh, Sir Stephen Wilkinson. Obviously, I guess we've had on the show uh, a few times now. I heard a number of different things from Buffett from his Q and A with Greg Abel. I think that was his uh, right hand uh, right hand man. Uh, one, he thinks we are in for a generational bear market, and certainly if anyone does um watch the presentation you'll you'll see that buffett goes to great lengths to to compare the situation in the in the in the US now versus what it was like um after the civil war and during the 1930s so i think he's making those comparisons for for a reason uh so one he thinks we're in for a generational bear market two he's preparing to change the habit of a lifetime and let marginal businesses sink this is a massive shift for him as it stands in marked contrast to pretty much everything he's talked about Berkshire's ownership ethic over the past four decades. I don't, this is uh, Stephen Wilkinson again, I don't at all disagree with him, but it's a sign that he's both expecting businesses in, in his portfolio to fail and need restructuring and that he's not going to be wasting capital on propping up failing businesses. Uh, three, he expects to be the big winner as private equity companies start to fail and become distressed sellers of highly leveraged assets. And then this is the last point Stephen makes. I felt this was the most enthralling Berkshire Hathaway show for for years. And frankly, I've been quite bored with the homilies floating out of Omaha at the beginning of May for the last decade, as this was a businessman speaking, not a friendly avuncular stock picker with a nice turn of phrase. And that's absolutely, no, I I can't disagree with any of that. I mean, we, you can, you can maybe have a different, take a different interpretation from, you know, as to what Buffett thinks about the market. Um, 
Buffett's clearly uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, a difficult position because he's so widely followed. He has to be very, very careful about what he says in relation to pronouncements about about you know, the level of the stock market. But um, so that's that's clearly up for debate as to whether he he does believe we're in for a generational bear market or not. But uh, the fact that he, he, if we look at just you know not so much do do what I say but do what I do. Well, we know he sold all his airline stocks. And the last I heard, he'd also been selling. I'm trying to think what it was. He was he was selling other other things that he'd done. I think it might have been possibly some of the financials. Because if you look at the composition of Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio, he he basically he owns half of Wall Street. He likes so, Wells Fargo, I think, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wells Fargo is certainly one of his larger, or was one of his larger positions, and I think probably Goldman Sachs as well. So uh, he's exposed to the sort of the, the so-called great and great and the good from from the you know, the, the investment um, economy. Either way, yeah, the fact that Berkshire's sitting on whatever it is, 150 billion of cash, suggests to me that he's in no particular hurry to put that money to work. What I thought was quite interesting was listening to the first part of his presentation. He was explaining how, I guess he does this every single time in the same way that Soros does it. He explains his re- reflexivity, his kind mm. of ethos for, for trading. And, and he went through the, well, if you own a farm and that farm price goes up and down you're not going to sell it but obviously later on he's gone well screw that noise i'm going to <laughs> i'm selling all this yeah. stuff because it's all going wrong yeah it's, it's different when the farm's on fire isn't it <laughs> yeah. so you know where, where the crops are burning and the locusts have arrived yes so. indeed your weekly tim what can we look forward to the, the weekly is is a response to a challenge from my my colleague Killian. Aha! We um, must have him on the show. We will have to get him. We'll have to get him on. And the weekly basically, so the the last commentary uh, basically was uh, inspired by by something I saw on Twitter, which is a a, a, a bot that <laughs> that sort of randomly tweets lines from John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, brilliant! I want a Tim Price. Twitter bot. I'm going to set one up. I'm sure, I promise I'm sure you. someone out. I'm sure someone out there can can can, can do the honors. Uh, but ba- but basically, I mean, the thing is just is is just one of the most remarkable films for anyone that hasn't seen it. And I can't believe there's anyone out there that hasn't seen it. The thing was made, I think, in 1982, um, and it's an adaptation uh, of a short story. Who goes Who goes there? And the premise is that we're we're in a, a U.S. A base in the Antarctic. And um, in in the film, uh, a Norwegian team, uh, a previous Norwegian team, uncovers something in the ice. It turns out to be a, an alien that's crash landed thousands of years ago, and they thaw it out. And it 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 it, it thaws out, isn't very happy, and, and basically goes around murdering everybody. But the the unique thing about it is that it, it has the capacity to replicate everything it, 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 it encounters. So you have something that can mimic people and mimic people perfectly. And so when this thing then then starts to wreak havoc in the American uh, camp, um, no one knows who to trust because you can't tell whether your 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 what was someone who was formerly your best friend is now is now an alien that's replicating them perfectly. So someone who uh, was writing the Terminator must have nicked that idea. Uh, possibly, but yeah. I mean the 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 original film was a 1950s film directed by Howard Hawks, uh, or at least pre- uh, produced by Howard Hawks. Uh, and the, the original fifties film is okay, but but the thing, the, the John Carpenter version, just takes it to a whole new level because the effects are just out of, if we'll pardon the pun, out of this world. It's probably one of the most loathsome effect films ever made. There is, have you seen it, Paul? Uh, no, I haven't. I I okay. think I saw the the modern version, which I 
There's a, there's a remake from about 2010 or 2012, yeah. which is okay, it's okay. but it's, it's, it's yeah. nothing very special. But no, the 1982 version is it's transcendently brilliant. Uh, and the, thus the effects, uh, I mean, to, get, to give you an idea, and this, I'm, not, I'm not spoiling too much of the film. I always spoil, spoil bits of films for people, but I'm not spoiling too much. But there's one sequence. I won't tell you how what starts the sequence, but at the end of the sequence, a guy's head uh, basically detaches itself from his body and then sprouts legs like a spider and scuttles off. That would be a great way to open the podcast, <laughs> wouldn't it? With that little, you just saying that. <laughs> and so, so the last, there is a point to this rambling uh, discourse. So the last commentary was basically uh, a, uh, a piece about the markets uh, and inspired by that uh, bot. Um, so the, the the character the the bot is if anyone wants to follow the bot the, the bot is at the thing underscore txt ah following it now uh, Go okay it yeah and basically the bot simply tweets lines from the character played by Kurt Russell in the film called McCready who's the helicopter pilot at the base and so for example um I'm just gonna see if I can see if I can get an example oh yeah so. So the last commentary was basically uh, quotes from quotes from McCready, uh, set in a market context. So one of them being "cheating bitch," um, which is just a McCready line when he's playing a chess computer that beats him. Um, why don't we just wait here for a little while, see what happens? Um, nobody, nobody trusts anybody now, and we're all very tired. So these are all lines from McCready. So for this week's commentary, I thought, given that. Killian said, why, why don't we make it slightly more expansive? I'd say, okay, well, I'll now make um, every every piece will be a line from a, a film. Yeah. Um, so I'm just seeing if I can find this find this damn thing now. It's, it's almost as if we make no preparation for this podcast at all, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> so let me just see if I can. Oh, here we go. So it's, this, this one's tight. So this week's, which will be out tomorrow, the COVID-19 crisis in movie quotes. Um, so I'll just give you, I'll just give you, I'll, I'll give you three, uh, but there's, I think there's about 10 or so. So question, just what on earth happened in Wuhan, China? Answer, there were problems and a, a few deaths were involved. That, that line is from aliens, by the way. Um, and then question, so now the economy has been put into a medically induced coma and millions of furloughed workers are being paid to sit at home doing nothing. How have these workers shown solidarity with our political leaders at this difficult time? Show me the money. That's from Jerry <laughs> Maguire. Yeah. And then question, how best to describe the likely monetary and fiscal stimulus to come? To infinity and beyond. That's a Toy Story, <laughs> Toy Story 2. So there's, a, there's about a 10 of these, and yeah, I'm just obviously making, getting my kicks and all the rest. But it's just a nice, I just like to sort of you know, push, push the envelope a little now and again. Fantastic. And just to remind us, how can, we, how can people subscribe to it? Uh, if if people want to subscribe, all they need to go is visit our website, pricevaluepartners.com. And if you hit the, the key at the top of the screen marked commentary, you can find basically the archive there. And then if you want to get in touch, just to send me an email, I'll happily add you to the, uh, to, to the subscription, uh, I, the, the, the distribution list for it. And what is it, £1,000 a year or something? It's completely free. It's okay. absolutely free. Excellent and worth ev- And worth every penny. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff, Tim. I'm really looking forward to seeing you. You know, it'd be great. Indeed, to, indeed. Yeah. I think we, we we need we'd also need to have a uh, before the year is out a, a meeting of a meeting of uh, former guests. It would be lovely. And I think Stephen. We mentioned Stephen earlier. Stephen would be uh, in 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 pole position uh, that meeting meeting of uh, state of the markets alumni. 
Well, we got an absolutely lovely review from Celadon20 on, on iTunes, so thank you so much for that, who suggested that we should do a live show, and I think that would be a fantastic idea, so perhaps we can look forward to doing something like that. Yeah, that, that sounds, sounds like a great idea. Yeah, so thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Let's be careful out there. Be careful out there. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.